Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. People can change anything they want to, and that means everything in the world. Show me any country, and there'll be people in it. It's time to take the humanity back into the center of the ring and follow that for a time. You know, think on that. Without people, you're nothing. Without people, you're nothing. Stoke the fire. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Stoke the Fire. Very excited to be here. Uh, good to see my dear friend Matt over here. What's going on, Matt? How you doing, Matt Stocks, ladies and gentlemen, my partner in crime. It, it's good to be seen. Always good to be seen. Yeah, 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 man. Yeah, I'm doing good. I just went out for a walk in the rain and got absolutely soaked. And then the, the the rain stopped and the sun came out and it was like ah, it was like a Baptist moment. Felt like wow. I was reborn in the moment. So um, yeah, life is is crazy good. And I want to say um, a lot of the people who bought the Stoke the Fire T-shirts that we were flogging a couple of weeks back, they finally received them and they've all been taking pictures and tagging us in them. So I want to say a huge thank you. Well, we both do. Huge thank you to everybody who supported the show by buying the limited edition T-shirts. They went, they're gone. Um, so they're, they're a one-off item but there will be more and um yeah so look out for uh, some more additions to our stoke the fire merch sites both here in the uk and over there where jesse is in the yeah. us of a yeah across the pond yeah it's great just to see the the support and the love um from everybody online it's it's a daily thing that helps lift me up and keep me positive during these strange times so yes thank you as well from me it's a it's an honor to see those t-shirts being worn and being talked about um, so today we have a great guest, uh, somebody that Matt and I both admire, someone I was able to tour with um, and see what he does firsthand. And uh, I, uh, I just I hold this guy in high regards. And uh, if you don't know who he is, you will after today. So, ladies and gentlemen, Matt, take it away. Tim McElrath, pull up a chair, come sit by the fire, my brother. Tim from Rise Against joins us today on episode eleven of Stoke the Fire. Here he is, Danny. <laughs> Studio magic. Ta-da! <laughs> the man behind the curtain. Welcome to the show, Tim. Hey, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. It's awesome just to like see familiar faces and hear familiar voices. And I know both you guys. So it's like really cool to do it. Uh, this with uh, just like someone of people who feel like family, you know? Oh, right yeah, man. On. Feelings definitely mutual both sides. Um, Jesse's got some some fond memories of, of the tours that you guys did together, which I'm sure we'll get into momentarily. But I just wanted to say from the get go, just a very quick thank you for uh, showing my book some love. Um, Tim's one of the, the many great guests, along with Jesse and loads of other great people in my book. And Tim uh, showed it some love on Instagram. And I appreciate that, dude. Uh, it's, it's a nice yeah. gesture. And- well, it's a great book. It deserves it deserves love. I love stuff like that, too, because, you know, I love just hearing what other people who do like what we do have to say about it. You know, like, like, you know, Jesse, like we just, like we've been on tour together or we've seen each other around at festivals, but you don't always get a chance to really have like a heart to heart with somebody. You don't really get, 
deep, you know, especially I feel like for singers too, our days are a little bit different. (laughs) You and I were so into, I mean, especially where I was at with my voice, like pre-surgery, I was having a rough go at it. So yeah, as much as we were together, there really wasn't a ton of like solid hangs because we had a job to do. (laughs) Yeah. If you got a job to do and like, you can't exactly stay up all night, you know, talking or or even during the day, you're always kind of like conserving, you know, I was in this, I was in a similar place just trying to like figure out how to make this thing sustainable, you know, and I've actually found myself in a much better place nowadays. But like, uh, I remember just like being well, like, like every tour, you're just kind of conserving, you know? And so to read a book like yours, Matt, it's like, Oh, like, here's a little, here's the, the similar things that we all go through that we're all kind of like, um, either conflicted with or reflecting on, or here's like, Oh, somebody figure out a different way to do this thing that I've always thought about in my head over and over. And that's always insightful. I find it insightful. Mm. Yeah. We've been finding that with doing this show as well. The commonalities, not just between artists and creatives, but you know, just we, we've been getting on listeners on the show as well, Tim, as guests and, and dedicating entire hour long conversations just to people out there who tune into the show and we, we encourage them to write in and yeah, some of the conversations have been going so deep and we've, we've both been realizing both me and Jesse that, and it's kind of why we started this show in this first place, really. And why we wanted to get you on is, the the things that unite us are far greater than the things that actually divide us. And in this time of crazy division and unrest, this show was really born out of a desire to help communicate our similarities and, and bring people together. And that's something you guys and Rise Against have always done as a band and a huge part of why me and Jesse really look up to and admire you, you know, not just as an artist, but as a human as well. So I guess, Jesse, where do you want to begin? Should we begin? Because we've had quite a few people on the show recently discussing addiction and sobriety and recovery. I think it'd be quite interesting, Tim, if you're up for it, just to give us your take on the straight edge lifestyle, which, you know, you've been invested in since you were a kid, right? Like since you were old Mm -hmm. enough to make that choice, whether or not to drink. And a lot of people who've been on the show need to be sober. You've chosen, you know, to be sober because you want to be. So where does that, you know, kind of introduction to the straight edge lifestyle begin and then I wonder if you could talk us through the, you know, the obvious positives and benefits that that lifestyle has afforded you in your life. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah, I think and I think it's great that you guys talk about that, too, because I think that everybody has their own journey, you know, and certainly all of our journeys are different. Um, and like, I guess, like, to like, kick it off too. like, I feel like I should say, like, being straight, edge just never like a judgment on anybody else. It's not like, uh, I'm not, I'm not like an evangelical straight edge trying to get you to come over to my side. It's more like, um, something that resonated with me before I even knew what straight edge was, you know, like it was, I was pretty much just the kid in my crew who didn't drink. And that's kind of all it was, you know, it was like, that was my, all my friends partied and drank, whatever. I didn't, um, judge them for it. They were my friends. They're still my friends to this day, you know? And I was just the one that didn't. And when I first heard about the concept of straight edge, it was probably, I mean, I guess it was minor threat realistically, but then also with like the, the New York city youth crew stuff that was happening too. And I remember it, it, like it almost, even as someone who didn't drink and knew that I was a little bit of an outsider, even in a group of outsiders, like it almost seemed silly that there would be some sort of like name for it, 
You know what I mean? Like I was like, oh, this is like, why would we name this thing? This is just me not, this is just me just like passing the beer when it comes my way, you know, like, is there a thing that needs to be defined or why are these guys singing songs about it and that kind of thing. But as you get older, you realize like society or even like your scene, they want you to have your choice be a little more active and less passive, you know, like they want you to explain your, your choice. They want you, they want to be able to like figure you out a little bit, you know, like not, not participating in like, a party culture, especially as like a young kid who was way into punk rock. And by all accounts, if you looked at me, you thought I partied, you know what I mean? Like I was like, I had like long hair, you know, all my friends were just walking around bloodshot eyes, stoned out of our minds, you know what I mean? That kind of thing, you know? And so like I was lumped into them all the time. So it was like, I was, I remember getting smoking violations at my high school, even though I didn't smoke, but it was just kind of like, that's the crew I hung out with. So they just kind of passed them all out. Like, well, you must be smoking. You're, you're a long hair too, you know? Guilty um, by association. It's exactly what it was. Yeah. But when you, I remember it being like a jarring thing to tell a person in authority who assumed they had me kind of pegged, right? They kind of like, they looked at me, they had like, like judged the book by its cover. And then to tell them, I don't drink and I don't do drugs and I, I don't smoke. And it's like, it's a pretty active choice that I make. And you could just see like the, like the hard drive crash. <laughs> <laughs> Does not compute. <laughs> right. Just like behind their eyes. It's like, wait, I assumed this kid was such a deviant because he's a, because he's a druggie. If he's not a deviant because he's a druggie, why is he a deviant? <laughs> and like, in some ways it was like, well, yeah, you should be concerned. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> like, the things I'm into have, are, have a lot more to do with just simply like party culture, but they're a lot more, they're a lot bigger ideas. You know what I mean? And so um, that was my introduction to it. And then like, as I got older in the scene and I realized like there was a straight edge scene and then I realized why the, why there would be a straight edge scene because like people felt like there needed to be like, um, like a stand almost, you know what I mean? A way to like stand up for your choice, you know? And then that, and then it became apparent, Oh, this is why, there eventually was someone that someone was probably Ian McKay who first said like, this is something that I don't do. And I'm making a conscious choice not to do it. Yeah. For me, when I was younger, it was, um, I got into straight edge for a very brief time. I want to say probably about nine months of my life, <laughs> straight edge. but it was to, it, I was angry and I wanted to fight against the people that were, you know, jocks and picking on me, like that whole high school drama crap for yeah. me. A nice way to like middle finger up to all those people be like i don't have to do what you do to be cool uh and then you know when you discover bands like like minor threat obviously is like the one i would say it's probably still my favorite band of all time just mm -hmm. the energy and the viciousness of it it yeah. felt you felt cool and you were in like a you know we we're already in a subgenre of getting into punk and hardcore or whatever but then you were in another subgenre that was right straight. it felt more <laughs> like exclusive and more of an idea to be sort of an elitist asshole, which I, I kind of was for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think you go through that phase no matter what, you know what I mean? Like, and you learn a lot about yourself and other people, especially in the nineties, like the like vegan straight edge, hardcore became so judgmental and dogmatic. And then you had the violent, Salt Lake City, violent. Yeah. Courage crew or Salt Lake city. And then you realize like, I don't want to be a part of that. Like that's, this is really getting out of hand. And um, yeah. So then, 
I think you learn a lot about people being a part of it. You know what I mean? Because those are sort of a lot of phases that people just go through, whether they, whether they're into punk and hardcore or not, you know, you like, especially if you're attracted to extremes, you know, and I think that if we're in punk and hardcore, like something about extremes, we find um, attractive. And I remember it just being a really, I mean, like every year of my life, I feel like as an adolescent, you could have like, you would have found a different me trying to like navigate, you know, these waters and try to figure out like, well, I, I, I want to be straight edge, but I want nothing to do with this violent stuff either, you know, and I still love my friends who aren't, and I love these bands who are, have nothing to do with straight edge, you know, and I don't feel animosity towards people who were straight edge and then oh, they're not, you know what I mean? Like all those things. And so you learn a lot about people. I always say that like me telling you that I'm straight edge is telling you a lot less about me than the, what you tell me in the way you respond or react to it. You know, like me being straight edge is not, it's not enough to know about me. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's one sort of like sub article about me, but it's not telling you that much about me, but like, well, it'd be I've like saying you to... play tennis in your spare time, right? Like, that. right. It's as yeah, insightful yeah. as that. <laughs> right. And like, you know, I think like, you know, rock journalism likes to focus on it because rock is sex, drugs, rock and roll. So it's like, who are these freaks <laughs> that aren't doing that? You know, I really um, like the idea of the kind of people in power that want to profile you not knowing what to make because they, their, their reasoning in their head has gone out the window. And what possible other explanation could it be for this person stepping outside of the norm? And obviously across the board in society, everybody likes to put labels on people, don't they? And I think when yeah. you challenge that label, that's when people get their backs up. And But labels are so reductive. Exactly. Now, so I was a young kid, like say I'm, I'm thinking like high school age maybe, and I remember, and I had issues with my high school. Like I was not a great kid. I was lighting fireworks off in the hallways. I was setting off <laughs> smoke alarms. I was building bombs in the backyard. You know what I mean? Like I'm doing all the proper things. anarchist. Yeah, anarchist <laughs> yeah. <cookbook> shit right there. <laughs> anarchist cookbook was a part of my life. You know, I always <laughs> like to qualify it and say that like I did all this in a pre 9-11 world. It was all just as American as apple pie. This <laughs> 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 is all just fun stuff, you know? And then all of a sudden the world changed. And it was like, Oh, if you say that word, you're not getting on a plane today. Um, yeah. but you know, I, but I wasn't like, I had issues with my school. You know, my, I had my police counselors show up at my parents house at like 6am in the morning, trying to get me to like rat on my friends, you know, for doing dumb stuff. And it was all, it was like prank stuff. It was like lighting off fireworks and smoke alarms and like breaking windows. And just, we were just kind of vandals and, you know, and I think that, like you said, Matt, like the way authority figures dismiss you is by judging your use of drugs or alcohol. That was the way that we could be dismissed. It was like, Oh, that kid, he's a druggie. Oh, that kid, he's a stoner. That kid, like he's messed up, you know? I, I, would, my, my I would add on top of that as well, not just authority figures, but kind of just people in like suburban society, you know, whether it's right. the parents on the playground, whatever. People like, I think drugs are such a, you know, it's a dirty word and it's very easy. This guy, he's a druggie, therefore none of his personal qualities or characteristics count for anything. Exactly. And it was like, that's, and it's, it's not a fair characterization of anybody, but it's like, that's what it was used against people. You know, it was like, oh, we can dismiss skateboarders because they're just, they're just lost. They must be on drugs. And so when you told someone that you weren't, you know what I mean? When you told those authority figures that you weren't, 
it was so like almost threatening to them. It made them just kind of like rethink everything. Like, why would someone grow their hair that long if they're not on drugs? Like, why would somebody wear a black flag t-shirt if they're not on drugs, you know, or all these things. And then they, it, you could, I just, I think that because I was a kid who loved being a thorn in the side of the establishment, I love that it was threatening to them. I love that it like made them uncomfortable with me and like it made them not be able to kind of put me in a box, you know? And so in that way, like, like you said, Jesse, it's like you become like a subgenre, like you're an outsider of the outsiders, you know, you're even further um, in the margin. And I kind of, um, I didn't mind being there. So what's, so that being said, because I, I, I have my reasons for why I was drawn to, to subcultures and punk rock mm. and hardcore and whatever the case may be in my life. I, there was, you know, I felt like I needed to have my say and speak up about what I was seeing in the world. What was it with you around that age where you felt drawn to that? You know, that was it alienation or was it just fascination or where were you in your brain at that time in your life? Hmm. That's a good question. You know, I think it was, you know, all of us have like our coming of age story about how we found punk rock and hardcore. Like it's the, the mixtape of the older brother, the older sister, like whatever, like you see the skateboarder in your neighborhood and you want to learn how to skate. We all that story. I have mine. I won't bore you with it. But like when we, when I made that kind of like that crossover from like, um, no longer being a part of like mainstream culture, but finding my own bands and like finding skateboarding and that kind of thing. I realized that like my world around me and I grew up in the, Northwest suburbs of Chicago. So just kind of like just a, a Pleasantville of sorts. You know what I mean? Like you've seen yeah. it. It's like nothing crazy. And it's the, the Home Alone area, right? Were you telling me? Yeah, it's all pretty much if you've seen Home Alone, Uncle Buck, like <laughs> all those areas. Like Uncle Buck. I, I wasn't on <laughs> I wasn't on that street. Though my grandparents were on that street. So we drove by the Home Alone house every Christmas or Thanksgiving. So like, yeah, it was a very um well, John Hughes made, you know, my whole area very famous, you know, like any of those movies. All those movies are like, good. All of them. Yeah. All of them, like from Breakfast Club, like 16 Candles, like those are the all those locations are the places. Ferris Bueller, we were driving by all those places all the time. Um, and I realized that the second, you know, like I'm wearing baggy jeans or I'm, I got my black flag hat on or I'm skateboarding in the park instead of playing baseball in the park, my whole world around me treated me differently. You know what I mean? And then and it wasn't like anything that I would characterize as like, you know super oppressive it was just like they looked at me a little differently and then i realized like oh like your approval of me is based on me taking a few boxes doing a few things that keep me like part of the tribe and if i deviate from that your approval of me kind of goes away and that made me start to question just like everything you know just the way we all work so it's like that was like a, a microcosm of like Chicago suburban, you know, world. But I saw that it was like reverberated in a different, in a much bigger place. And I think that's when things too, because I was a big reader. And that's when things like uh, reading 1984 or Fahrenheit 451, and I just read them for fun as science fiction. You know what I mean? I thought of them as pure science fiction. I thought of 1984 as just a fun book about the future. And then I started realizing, oh, this guy meant it in a different way. He meant it as like a comment on society and politics. And I didn't know what dystopian 
novels were, you know, I was just reading them for fun. And then all of those things started to click. And then I started to reject, I guess, the world that was rejecting me. And then... Did you thrive um, off that as well, Tim? You were saying you kind of enjoy being a thorn in the side. Is that something you think you've always sort of actively you know, appreciated to some extent and relished in? Yeah, for better or for worse. <laughs> it was. It was like, I think that when I saw how like mainstream acceptance worked, I, it's the more I embraced like the hardcore and punk, which was the subgenre I found. But, you know, you could find any subgenre or genre that you want to find. And I found punk and hardcore and it made me embrace it more and appreciate it more and find my people and find the bands here in Chicago that I grew up listening to and going to shows and skateboarding. And I just loved every bit of it. I could not get enough of it. I wanted to be at a show when I was at school. I was thinking about going to shows and skateboarding my friends and playing music in the basement with my friends. And um, it, and this was, you know, like you guys know, it was before internet. It was all like a little bit more underground. You had to kind of be in the know to figure it out. By the time you got to the show, you were surrounded by people who all figured out some way to be there that night. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy to get in that basement or get in that club or get to that party because you had a flyer with a map drawn on it or you knew somebody's brother with a driver's license and you went, you know, and the show got moved because the cops got called. And like by the time it filters down to that show, you all had some victory because you were there, not because you typed it into Google Maps, you know, or whatever on your, or you found the show about the show on the, on social media, or whatever. And so I loved every bit of it. And like soon I was like, you know, quitting sports, much to the chagrin of my parents and like all those things. And I just couldn't get enough of it. I was just like, I wanted to mainline it, you know, I wanted every bit of it. And it was just, I don't know. I still have fond, fond memories of that time. I'm so glad that I found punk and hardcore too. Cause I think you meet a lot of people who had not, um, you know, their adolescence was a little more rough because they didn't find that thing that like they could connect with, you know? And I think about my life without punk and hardcore I'm sure mine would have been a lot rougher too, but because I found it, it was like, I found my family, you know what I mean? And, and here I am and here we are <laughs> this many years later. I love, it. I can relate to everything you just said. And a point, I guess that struck me, which I can remember very vividly in my life is meeting my tribe of, of punk and hardcore and, and, you know, the misfits, the dregs of society, all those people that you would, you know, when you were younger, you'd walk down the street and go, Oh, wow. Those people are crazy. And then starting to, mm. I was starting to befriend some of those people. And I was right. the youngest, I was the, the, you know, the 14 year old kid in a band with 20 year olds. So I had a totally different experience as far as you know, yeah. any of my peers in high school. And I remember specifically meeting some of these people who did have a rough childhood, did have a rough upbringing, homeless punk rockers, people bumming for change. And that really shifted my mind as well into seeing, first of all, how good I had it at home because my family was, I came from a pretty stable home, but also just realizing how screwed up the world is that we are dealing with someone who is homeless at the age of 14, you know, dealing with poverty. I started to see and be embedded with these people and hear their stories and see why they would act violent or would have problems and how the music helped, how it all helped us relate to each other. And you kind of form a community where you know, you know, there was a guy named Mugger in my crew. There was like, you know, just these crazy mm -hmm. punks. And then there was me. Like I'd go home to my mom and dad and have dinner on Sundays. Like, and I was able to coexist in both of these worlds and it made me more fascinated, but it also really elevated my, my mind and helped me see 
the the dichotomy and the and the differences we all had as people and that really helped me unite with that idea where you have somebody in suburbia or is on the football team and they got their group of friends and they all come from the same thing there's no deviance outside of that world and i think i look back on that and i feel very lucky and very sort of um i don't want to use the word privilege but we were in a little society that you had mm-hmm. to fight and like actively be a part and that was a magical thing that formed who i am today and i guess just for me like it changed my whole worldview being with people who are less fortunate. Right. That instilled even more of a desire for me to speak up and help and like want to change things. Did you find that with, with your, uh, with your situation as well? Is that really what struck the chord when you were like, I got to do something now I got to say something. What brought you to the music to, to actually want to be a voice in it? Yeah. So music, I mean, punk rock, and hardcore, there's, it's a huge umbrella, right? There's a lot under it. You know, like you get into the Sex Pistols, you get into the Clash, you get into the Ramones, again, the Descendants. And, you know, um, and then the band that resonated with me most was Minor Threat. You know, I think you were saying, Jesse, you too. And like, that was like, like, I like Johnny Rotten, you know, that's cool. You know, it was fun stuff. I didn't identify with them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um the he must have seemed were... like an alien to you guys. <laughs> it was absolutely an alien. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was so cool. I loved playing that record, you know, and it was like, like nothing else, still a great record. Um, but then within punk, you know, it's like, who do you, it's like, it's like if you're into sports, like there's like, there's baseball, but then there's like your team, you know, or, or football or whatever, you know, and punk is like, the sport, you know, and then which one's your team? And minor threat, I felt like was my team. Minor threat was the one was like, I, this, this speaks to me. This is like, instead of nihilistic, dark punk, this is like really cool, positive, aggressive punk, but it's still got teeth and yeah. like, it's angry, but it's about to, being part of the solution, you know, making things better, singing about it in an urgent way, you know, and it was so, I love the positivity of it and the aggression of it. And then that kind of kicked off like my punk and hardcore journey. I got way into like a lot of the nineties, like straight edge, hardcore stuff like earth crisis, you know, or integrity or Snapcase or turmoil or, you know, all those bands, like anything Victor is putting out, like in like 96, like I was yep. on board with, you know, same, same. Yep. <laughs> totally. So I was up, I was up front at earth crisis shows. You know what I mean? I'm following them around the Midwest. You know, I was, you know, refuse was coming out around that time, you know, around here. It was like, by the grace of God I was playing here a lot. Um, guilt, you know, that whole scene was, I was huge um, for me. And so in that scene, in that nineties hardcore scene, and you guys know this, like politics were part of it, you know? So it was often you would show up to a show and it'd be in some dive somewhere and you're going to see a band play and the band setting up and there's someone selling merch. There's always a table there. And that table is talking about indigenous cultures, maybe, you know, and talking about uh, environmental problems, you know, global warming, or um, maybe there's a table talking about sweatshops, you know, and labor around the world and how a lot of what we wear and what we eat is like, we exist on the backs of um, developing countries. Um, Or maybe there was an animal rights table, 
there. Isn't it interesting you know? as well, Tim, that a lot of this stuff is now like in the mainstream consciousness and all of exactly. it really you can trace back to punk, whether it's, yeah, as you say, like anti-racist stuff, climate change awareness, anti-homophobia, mm-hmm. anti-sexist, activism, yeah. pro- protest. All this stuff mm-hmm. is now like mainstream popular culture, but yet we're st- just to kind of not maybe jump forward, but throw this in the yeah. mix. You would like to think that we'd be getting together a bit more if all of these ideas that brought the punk community together are now being, you know, detailed and, and ex- well, kind of, it's in the popular discourse of right. today, but yet everybody's kind of still at each other. It just seems sort of counterproductive, <laughs> doesn't it? it? It does. Yeah, it's happening on the macro now instead of the micro. And, and you're right, like those scenes were like the first time I heard the word sweatshop was not in a school. It was at a hardcore show, you know? Um, yeah. The first time I heard about, you know, the um, problems with the environment, you know what I mean? And industrial society, that was, I heard about it, not from my teachers. You know, I heard it from a band, from a guy on stage with a microphone telling me about it. You know, the first time I heard about um, underserved communities in Chicago was from Los Crudos on a stage with Martin telling me about it in the few words of English that he might say that night, you know? (laughs) So it was like, this stuff was mind blowing to me. And it was like a secondary education. And it made me realize because I was so grateful to that show and that scene and that singer, I made me realize like, you know, if I ever get a chance to be on that stage, if I ever am holding that microphone, and if there are ever people looking at me, the way I'm looking at Martine from Los Crudos, like, take that with some responsibility, you know, and use it to be a vehicle for change and awareness. And so that was sort of, those were my roots. And so, and eventually what I would go on to do is when I had that microphone in my hand, that's what I wanted to, that's what, that's what I got off on. I love that, man. That makes me really happy because it's very, very similar journey that I had as well. Um, you know, and now with, with what I'm doing, I, I tackle a little bit more of like the mental health stuff, but mm-hmm. I got my start for sure. in just seeing the world was screwed up and having that responsibility where, you know, and I was supported by people around me too, who were like, when I was writing lyrics, the band would read and be like, yeah. Or like the band would read and go like, well, reword that. So from a young age, it was, the lyrics was so important to me. Mm. They still are. That's something that I. I struggle through more than anything, you know, when I'm in the studio and I'm getting ready to put out this message, you know, you you can't half-ass it. Like all these years of like, I've got this responsibility. I have something to say. I could potentially help people. You don't phone that shit in. And I would say that's really what I love about Rise Against. There is zero phoning in with what you do. It is very apparent that you are passionate. You've got a righteous anger but it all comes off very welcoming. Like, and and that's one thing I wanted to say, like touring with you guys, seeing the way you interact with the audience, it never felt like you were ever pushing people or making people feel less than if they didn't understand what you were talking about or the vibe you're trying to put out. There was a a really amazing feeling of uh, inclusivity and like unity with a rise against show. So I got to commend you for that because that's something that I noticed. It was very obvious to me every single night to see those shows and just it was such a great vibe to tour with you guys and i learned a lot you know because with kill switch it's a it's a different vibe we're fun guys we're happy guys but you got mm-hmm. me 
And then you have Adam D. <laughs> and there were nights where your audience were, were like, who is this tall, crazy person talking about, you know, women's body parts? And you could just, there were nights where I could just see like some of your ra radical fans. And I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> they're going to kill Adam. <laughs> you know, what's interesting about that, too, is if you remember the first time we toured together, Adam was not with you guys. Yeah. Yeah. It was different. And so. That was like my first real, like I've always, I've, I've listened to Kill Switch. You know what I mean? And like, I remember even, I think the first time I heard you was probably uh, the My Last Serenade. You guys mm -hmm. had a video, right? I think that video was getting a lot of play when it came out. So awkward. I, yeah. <laughs> no, it was a great song. It was like, I, that was, I saw that and I was like, I like this band. I like this singer. I like his voice. I like that it's on TV. I like that. I like everything about this. Like, I want to know more about this. Like, I always love your voice. I was loved your band, you know? And so I was always a listener. Um, but I don't think I'd ever really seen the band. I just didn't have a chance to see <laughs> you guys yet. And then I first tour, you know, Adam, you know, he was having back problems or something and he, right. could, he couldn't be out there with you guys. And he played without him. And so I got to see that version of Kill Switch. Says what the, mo is the, the most Kill Switch I'd ever meaningfully interacted with was that version of Kill Switch. Right. And so when I saw you later, like on a festival or something like that, or back on the road with you, with Adam, I was like, oh, there's a different dynamic to this that was missing from uh, the yeah. tour. What do you got? There was nobody wearing tiny bat wings before. <laughs> and now, now there is. <laughs> but that was, I mean, it was great. But it was so funny because it was like, it was a unique uh, perspective for us to see the, the version of you guys without him and the version um, with them. But I mean, I think, you know, I can't, I can't sit here and let you say this about me without saying it about you too, Jesse. I mean, you command a stage you command a crowd um you are living and breathing every single word you are singing it is obvious to me to your band and to the fans you know and it's and there's something really cool about what you do too is like kill switch like to me as a listener there's a lot of darkness in like what you guys do and somehow you make it not so dark like somehow like you manage to like lion tame the darkness a little bit you know and i think it's a really cool thing i know that i appreciate it and i could tell your fans appreciate it oh thank you man i really appreciate yeah. that yeah i just for me it's just trying to be who i am because i do wrestle yeah. with that darkness with my my head and my past addictions and stuff but i always thought it was funny because you know you know going go just real back selfishly touching back on, on us touring together mm -hmm. i always looked at it as like adam do you sort of like the fat mic of our band you know we had <laughs> we had the punk rock thing where i was up there trying to be sincere and you know just All right probably too serious for my own good sometimes. And then him just like tits and beer and like just being the <laughs> jackass. So, Cause he comes from uh punk and hardcore as well. We, we kind of yeah. all do our own way, but right. uh, yeah, I just, I, the vibe you guys give off. And uh, just as I was setting up too, I got to hear one of the uh, tracks off the new record, which is the nowhere generation, that banner that's behind you is that. Yeah. yeah so that song's great by the way. And I just Thank love you. the nod to, um, to where we all come from and, the music, the sound, it's exciting. So new music, new tour, like we're, we are moving in a different direction nowadays. So for, we're, you know, when we first started talking here, you're talking about being in your studio, spending so much time in your studio. Mm -hmm. We're going to be getting back out there, man. How does that make you feel? Where are you at with all of that? After going through this past year and now it's like, oh, <laughs> we must be going back to doing what we're doing. Where are you at mentally with all that shit? Oh man, it seems like a lifetime ago. 
that we were doing this, right? It seems like I, I don't even remember what instrument I play in this band anymore. <laughs> walk on stage, you're going to have to point me in towards uh, whichever thing I'm supposed to be doing. Um, but yeah, we just announced a tour uh, yesterday. Um, yeah. So we'll do an American tour um, in August, which like is even sooner than I thought was going to happen, you know? And so I, and I, I don't know if you if, if you're like me, like you've heard a lot of different um, theories about when we're going to go back on the road for the last like, you know, 14 months or however long it's been. And that goalpost has always just kept moving. And so I've, I'm sort of not listening. I stopped listening, you know, because everybody's like, Oh, maybe, maybe in April, uh, maybe, you know, maybe in May, I don't know. And so I stopped really listening to it. And now this thing is actually happening. So it's like, Oh, so now I'm trying to wrap my brain around like, wait, we're right. going back on the road. We're going I go tour again. Like I've been home for a year. I've been hanging out with my family. You know, I've just been like, have a routine now, you know, all these things. And I'm like, and I'm going right back into that world. And it's, it's, it's something that I've been like, that I've been thinking about like this week as it's becoming more of reality and it'll be a different world. I'll be, you know, I'm going to be two or three years older than I was last time I toured, you know, like we're going to be have a new record, like all these things, like there's gonna be a whole new generation of kids that are getting into the music, like all of that, you know, especially as I, I spent a lot of the last year wondering, like if this was ever going to happen, are we ever going to see shows like the way we saw them? Are they going to be something that we talked about happened in the past? And so it's a little bit of like whiplash right now, like, and we're back and the train is going and you got to hop on, you know? And so yeah. I'm sort of like, um, I'll, I'll tell you that I'm not ready for it today <laughs> and I'm hoping to be ready for it. Like when, uh, when that first show rolls around. Can I ask you the pair, the pair of you this, um, Tim, a moment ago, you mentioned this idea of like being a lion tamer and wrestling mm -hmm. demons. On stage. Um, obviously that's something you guys both do in your bands. And when we did our podcast together, Tim, you and I were talking about Chris Cornell and Chester Bennington, and mm -hmm. you're obviously close to those guys. I'd love to hear you two just kind of share your thoughts as we approach, you know, the return of shows like, how it is for front men of yourselves and bands of the sizes that you're in to wrestle with these these demons and these feelings and these struggles on stage every night because it can become quite easy for the audience to you know perhaps not really appreciate the the depth or the darkness within the material because it's a hit song and actually there's quite a lot of you know heavy stuff going on every night on stage i'd love to hear the pair of you just kind of share your your thoughts and feelings on that of, you know, living and breathing these creations of yours, because some of them, as we've seen, can get the better of their creators, can't they? If you're not careful. Yeah. You want to go first, Jesse? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's funny. Cause it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately too, you know, um, knowing that I am going to return to the road as well. And also what you were saying about you know, being home and having a routine and, you know, I've been around, I mean, granted, with the whole pandemic, not being able to be all up in people's personal space, but there's a certain beauty that I've really experienced from being home. And a lot of the darkness and demons that I wrestle with on the road seem to subside just a bit. I think the road comes with its own types of demons, its own sadnesses and loneliness and isolation that you can feel mm -hmm. even when you're shoulder to shoulder with somebody in a, you know, in a, in a, in bunk alley or in a bus, like you squeeze together. But I think that comes with its own darkness and demons. So for me, I guess there's two things. One, you kind of feel like you have to do it. There's a sense of purpose when you do 
I would say the kind of music that Tim and I do, like our hearts are on our sleeve. There's no, there's no faking it. You know, people are looking for that connection and they relate to the lyrics. They relate to who you are as a person. So that sense of purpose really helps push me through the harder times. And the fact that if I am having an off day or a bad day, I've got to find a way to go from zero to 10 to get on stage by like, you know, eight o'clock at night. That's a huge motivator. And number two, um, I think for me, um, that's all I got, you know, that's, that's everything <laughs> to me. I don't know what I would do outside of that. You know, doing this podcast has been huge, but that's a totally different way to see the world and a way to contribute to the world. But prior to this podcast, I had nothing. So I, I wear it as a badge of pride, but it hasn't been easy. You know, there are nights when my voice will crack and I'm not mm. in uh, because I am thinking about what I'm saying. I'm trying to stay present to the music for the sake of the art of it and then balancing it with performance and making sure you sound good and, and you look like you're not disheveled. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's a, a constant struggle. I know it's, I'm going to continue to struggle with it in a different way moving forward because I have vowed to, to no longer lose control through alcohol and substances on the road. Like that's been a huge shift this past year and, and a half with me. So the things that I used to lean on to help me cope, I'm no longer going to lean on. So I'm as a part of this looking forward to it, 100% to get back out there and do what we do. There's also a part of me that's a little anxious and a little intimidated by having to face all that shit again. Cause I haven't been singing. I haven't been mm -hmm. focusing on that. So it's kind of been nice in a way. So I don't know, but for me, it's, it's all I know. It's all I know. So I'm just going to, you know, dust my weapons off and, and uh, <laughs> get back out there and keep fighting the good fight. I got no choice. Exactly. I think, yeah. And like you made a good point, like we're, um, like not every tour is the same. Not every year you go on the road, are you the same person? Every time you go on the road, you know, you're a different person that went on the road, you know, like then you were 10 years ago, then you were 15 years ago, then you'll be five years from now. You know, there's, um, your, who you are, your constitution, what's going on in your brain and your mind at that time. Like the road might be the same, but it's going to be a different experience and you're going to experience it in, a different way. Um, and so in that sense, there are some like unpredictable things, some variables, you know, you can't just say, Oh, this next tour will be exactly like the rise kill switch tour that we did. You know, it'll be the same exact thing. You know, it's like, no, it'll be different. You're, you're, you're a different person. I'm a different person. Like you're like challenges will arise that you, that didn't arise before, you know, like you'll have some things figured out and then you'll have some things that are like, Oh, I need to like figure that out to be out here for this, this many weeks at a time or whatever it is. And so, um, yeah. And, you know, and we, yeah, I mean, we, both of us, like we, our songs are demon wrestling. You know what I mean? That's what they are. It's why, um, we go out on stage and then why people have connected with them, you know, why kill switch has the audience that it has, why rise has the audience that it has is because someone somewhere said, Hey, I feel like that too. You know, I'm glad that somebody voiced that because now I feel less alone, you know, and that's part of the amazing thing. And to traffic in those demons, you know, can look in the, we make it look like entertainment. <laughs> you know what I mean? We get lights and we get production and we get some good sound and, you know, we're at some great venues and we make it look like, you know, just pure entertainment. But I know that Matt, I've used this analogy before, but I think of it as, um, as lion taming, 
You know, it's like a great lion tamer will make it look easy. You know, they'll be out there on the floor with the, with giant animals and they'll be making it look really easy and we'll all be clapping and eating popcorn. But like somewhere deep down, we have to understand that's a fucking lion. It's got crazy fucking teeth. It can kill you at any second. And the people that make it look the easiest are sometimes the people that are wrestling with the most, you know? And I think that going back to like Chester or Chris, you know, those guys made it look so fucking easy. (laughs) I mean, they really did. And like, those were two people that, you know, I don't think anybody saw what was coming, you know, anybody, any of their fans or anybody who ever met them, you know, they were very just light souls. And then you realize like, these are amazing lion tamers. These guys are so good at it that we're not even thinking about how sharp the teeth are, Mm. but realistically the teeth are pretty, pretty damn sharp. Wow. That's, that's heavy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. I mean, no, no, it's just just so, it's just so accurate, but I think that's what makes people who do that type of stuff. That's why it matters so much because of that Mm. connection that people have. And, you know, Again, with this podcast with Matt and I, I've seen a whole other side of that connectivity. It's one thing when you're, you know, meeting fans or you're on stage and you're on tour. It's another to have like a listener slash fan here for an hour having an intense conversation about their life. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, it's the purpose driven life. Like I have to live with purpose. That's why I yeah. do what I do because I'm I'm decent at it. You know, like I mm-hmm. I do it well enough that people are like, oh you know, you've, you've helped me with my life. And to me, like, Mm -hmm. that's why I do it. I truly, truly, at the end of the day, I enjoy and am fulfilled by the people who say that it's helped them and it's changed them. And like, that's the stuff I latch onto when I get stressed, when I am down, when I am wrestling with my demons, I'm like, I'm doing it for them. Like I really am. Those Mm -hmm. are the people that keep me going. That, that purpose is there. And without that, it's like, what else, what am I doing? And I don't care right. about the fame and the fortune, all that crap. Mm-hmm. I don't rock star bullshit. Never cared about it. Mm-hmm. So it's great to see. Um, you know, I can't wait to to run into you and, and be able to watch and have this conversation again out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Hey, Amen. <laughs> That's gonna feel really good for sure. You know, it's I, and you talk about why you do it, and it's like it goes back to you were talking about um, how you found punk and hardcore, how lucky you found you. Were, you um felt to to find it um and i totally get what you were saying because you were trying you were trying to find the right word you were like lucky privilege i don't know what but i was like i was you were trying to figure and i got exactly what you were saying because there was no guarantee you were going to find it you know what i mean yeah back then sure no guarantee that young jesse was gonna find it and now picture jesse in a world where he didn't find it right I'd be dead. <laughs> <laughs> so following that logic, somewhere out there, someone out there is looking for that right now. And so in a way, like, like you saying you do it to connect with people, that's exactly why you should be doing it. You know, because someone, someone out there who has no guarantee of finding you and that, and you might be the voice that they're going to connect with most, they have no guarantee of finding you, but you're going to keep writing songs, keep playing shows, keep doing your podcast, you know, keep doing everything you do. And someone out there is going to find you and you're going to be the one speaking their language. Mm. And that's going to be 
such a lucky thing because because Rise Against isn't going to speak everyone's language, you know. Neither is Kill Switch or whatever. Like there's bands out there that people resonate and identify with, and we have to be out there, kind of as landing pads for them when they come in. Tim, you talk a lot in your music about closing the gaps, and that's kind of the driving force behind this show, as we mentioned. Um, how do you see us? I know you won't have the answers, you know, per se, because you're not technically an expert, but obviously you've dedicated <laughs> dedicated your life to trying to, you know, close these gaps down. How do you see us from this situation going forward? Such a key time for healing and coming together. Mm. Uh, what do you see as sort of things that we should all be doing as a society to improve the lives of, of everybody, not just, you know, the 1% at the top? Oh man, I wish, I definitely wish I had the answer to that question <laughs> as we all do. Um, but when I break it down a little bit and think about it in terms of like what even the three of us do, um, you know, we are, we live in a world where everybody is kind of firmly entrenched in their sides and their tribes. You know what I mean? Like you guys know, like it's hard to really get someone to come out of their position or to come. We, we don't really, we don't switch sides so much anymore. And we have a harder and harder time just even explaining our points to people. You know, we, we live in echo chambers or we yell at each other using talking points and, and this kind of thing. And it doesn't really do any real good. You know, we've kind of like, we've congealed, you know, we're in these hard uh, stances. And when you think about that, it, it, it's depressing. And I thought about it a lot this year and I was trying to think of like, well, what, what is the antidote to that? Is there an antidote to that? Does anything does anything cut through that noise or has anything historically cut through that noise? Have we been here before? And I kept coming back to stories and storytelling that when you strip away the talking points and you strip away the echo chambers and the sides you're on, when you hear someone's story, that's what connects with you. When you strip aside who they voted for, what party they're with, whatever, you just hear their story. You know, like this is what happened to me or happened to somebody I know. And this is, why I feel this way. Um, that cuts to the noise, you know, <clears throat> excuse me. It cuts right to the noise and it allows you to hear somebody for the first time. You know what I mean? Sorry. I'm gonna drink some water. Yeah. I can hear that. Do that. <laughs> father and me clear that out. I know. Sorry. I know. <laughs> As vocalists, you can't, you, can't li- oh <laughs> you can't listen to someone just keep on struggling. Right. <laughs> <laughs> We have to save part of this podcast, talk about our voices at some point. <laughs> oh, my Lord. <laughs> um, anyway, what was I saying before I turned into Cookie Monster? Um, Personal stories. Yeah. Yeah. So stories <laughs> cut through the noise, right? That's what, like, that's what um, one of the only ways we can truly communicate on a base level, especially um, now. And then you got to think about who are storytellers. Well, you two are storytellers. You know what I mean? Like, you're telling stories in this podcast. You're getting people to tell their stories. You know, um, Jesse, you're writing songs. You're an artist. You know, like your songs. Everyone is a story. Um, people, any artist is telling a story. Anybody who's who's painting a painting, they're making a film, they're building a building. You know, like those are all stories that like are told, and that's what cuts through the noise. And so. Well, I wish I had like the broader answer to your question, Matt, because we, we need those answers. In the meantime, we need to be telling stories, you know, and trying to reach people because that's what will get us out of these entrenched positions when we can actually just hear each other, you know, and listen to each other. 
I love that. It's playing to um, our emotions as humans, the way we can relate to each other. But also, you know, you may not necessarily understand what someone's going through, but you can, you know, empathize. You know, it's sympathy and empathy. And I, mm-hmm. I think that um, some of the most powerful stories we've heard on this podcast were from listeners, were from quote unquote common people, people who aren't like celebrity or an artist or somebody who's known. Mm-hmm. And I have found that some of the most powerful stories and the most moving things that really helped me see humanity as a whole in a different light and pulled me out of my comfort zone really as a, as a person engaging mm-hmm. with people who are not so common. And that's the great thing about it is like, everybody does have a story and some of the people that you're dealing with or arguing with online, or you disagree with because of political stuff, their story may move you to tears if you only knew where they came from. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, like you said, you cut to the noise or your guard drops and you empathize or you sympathize because you've been there too and it kind of helps you understand why people do get emotionally charged by what they believe in or what they stand behind and i think that is i love that you brought that up and the way you worded it too that's powerful that should resonate with everybody who's listening right now we do have commonalities we do have stories that are being told Mm -hmm. on a regular basis and you're right that is sort of the the gateway to making change is to seeing each other for who we are. And at the end of the day, we are all connected. We're all humans. We're all want to be loved. We want to be accepted to a certain degree. We need community. We need all these things. So if you're butting heads with somebody, and I always say this to people online when I do interject, which I don't do much of anymore, mm-hmm. is just just try to be nice and try to understand and have a conversation because conversations aren't really happening. It's mm-hmm. just arguments. And there's a big difference right. Right. And, and everybody's on their journey and there are different parts of their journey too. You know, it's like, I feel like there was like the, the, the 15 year old me was super angry when bad religion signed to a major label. right that was and that was where i was on my journey at that age you know what i mean and you couldn't have told me different (laughs) you know what i mean you probably could have tried um i'm no longer there right i'm no longer condemning a band for their decision to well you've uh, been on the other side since (laughs) yeah and i've had a lot of experience in that now sold out bro (laughs) (laughs) yeah totally technically yeah Yeah, right (laughs) when you grow up in 90s hardcore there's like everything you do is selling out pretty much so finding the victory was like whoa careful (laughs) (laughs) right oh yeah signing to fat records you know and like when we signed to fat it was like lost half my friends you know oh funny Oh yeah, that's a, a whole different conversation. But yeah. that's where I was on the, on my journey at that point. You know what I mean? So like, if that so if that if that fifteen year old me was alive today, I'd be all over what Twitter. You know what I mean? All over you know social media. I'd be saying all kinds of awful, trolly things. You know what I mean? Um, and that's not who I ended up being, becoming. You know what I mean? Like I don't think about that anymore. It's not an issue in my life. You know. And so sometimes it's like just meeting people like where they are, like in that moment you know, and sometimes even just letting them have that moment. Cause it's like, so if I, if I meet an angry young fan, who's like mad at us for something, I'll try to take what they're saying into consideration. But I also know like, well, I don't agree with you, mm-hmm. you know, but I know where you are right now because I was there. So I'm not going to judge you for being there. I'm not going to get into it with you right now about it because I know that no one could have changed my mind. 
you know? And like, obviously that's a pretty um, superficial topic. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, but that's and a very have- valid and, and cool point is like having that understanding and, you know, overview to allow people that moment as you say not to challenge them on it even just to Mm -hmm. let them have that moment because you understand it because you've been there and then maybe you'll meet them further down the line and then you'll be in a a similar spot but it's give them that time and give them that chance don't just shut them out and go fuck that person it's like let them have that moment give them their time and space i think some some people just need to be heard right i mean that's mm -hmm. the is this especially a young person who's just filled with piss and vinegar and the world is so unfair like sometimes just being able to get that out and say it and that and that comes from wisdom what you're saying tim i think as we grow older and we see and and, you know having been an angry young kid you get it i Mm -hmm. never it's funny because i've just been doing my best to deal with this past year and a half or so and seeing the internet and kind of distance distancing myself a lot from Mm -hmm. my my mental health and focusing more on like how do i help people with their emotions and their mental health that's kind of been my focus during this but to put to apply that angry young kid scenario to where people are at meeting people where they're at i kind of didn't even think of that till you just mentioned it it's really wise to say that something i think a lot of people should consider yeah i mean like and anybody you know we all got into punk and hardcore and you know the more anybody tried to shove something down our throats (laughs) the more we were going to throw it back up you know and so it's something that I think is at least uh, to be considered, you know. Tim, I'd love to get your viewpoint on our role as people, just kind of to take it slightly back into the realm of politics for a moment. Our mm. role as people in affecting change, because a lot of people say like, you know, voting is where that takes place, but I'm not sure I'm convinced. And I think for, for the world, for politics even to bend to the will of the people, the people need to step up, right? Um, and that's kind of always been, I think, a, a thread in, you know, your art and your stories is like we as people need to take up, you know, our swords, metaphorically speaking, and mm. get out there and try and make the world a better place in in any which way we can. Yeah. And I'm a big believer in that. I'm a big believer in like individual action. But like you don't need to like really take it from me. Like the world has a pretty rich history of social movements and individuals and groups of individuals who have made a big difference. I mean, like in this country, you think of like women didn't always have the right to vote, you know? Same. Like yeah. <laughs> right. And so that's something that took a movement to change. It took women standing up and saying, we want this, you know, we want the ERA, we want, we want equal voting, you know, and it didn't come right away. It came with a fight, it came with uh, ridicule, you know, it came with a lot of protests and they eventually made it happen. And then, you know, that snowballed. It's like, well, why is it only white people that are voting? You know, let's fix that. And that was a huge social movement. And so these social movements, they really, um, they, they've shaped the world that we live in to the point where we go on to take them for granted. You know what I mean? Like we, we, the, the idea that women can vote is something that we just accept, you know? Um, but we forget that there was a fight, you know, that took place. And that if there are things that are still out of our reach um, that we still want to see happen, it's going to take a fight and it's going to take an individual, a group of individuals and a social movement to kind of make happen um, because rarely does one rich old white guy with a pen, you know, 
do something that changes everyone's life on his own volition because he wants to. You know what I mean? Oh, that yeah. doesn't... You don't say. Because <laughs> <laughs> he has a heart of gold. Because <laughs> all of his, you know, big business sponsors want him to do that. You know what I mean? That, that yeah. doesn't happen, you know? And like, it happens because that, you know, person in power feels pressure to do it. You know, they feel pressure to make something happen. And in the end, they just want to look good and get reelected. But they feel pressure to do that, to get reelected and to look good, you know? And so where does that pressure come from? Well, it comes from people, you know, it comes from all of us, you know, it comes from us all lighting those fires, you know, and pressuring people in power to do that. And if they don't do it, then we can, as long as we live in a democracy, we can take them out of power, you know? And so like, as of today, we still live in a democracy. <laughs> it's still, it's still happening. You know, it's, it's certainly been under attack and it's still under attack. It's under attack in Maricopa County, like as we speak. Um, but as long as we live in a democracy, like your voice um, and your vote is something that people in power will be required to answer to, you know, um, which is, you can't say that for like corporations, you can't say it for big business the only people they really answer to are shareholders, you know, and there's not really any morality in, in shareholders, you know, and people own stocks. Like as long as it makes a profit, that really is all that matters. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what took place to make that profit, you know? And so people have to figure out they want to live in a world that answers to shareholders or they want to live in a world that answers to voters. I like that. That's great. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I guess uh, for me, um, before we let you go, as we wrap this up a little bit, uh, I just wanted to say to you, uh, well, first of all, when we toured together, it it seems like so long ago, but I was going through such yeah. a hard, hard time in my personal life and it affected me on so many different levels as well as struggling with my voice as well. Um, and, you know, not to continue to blow sunshine up your ass, but, uh, you know, there were moments during that tour where I saw you, you know, you, you had... I believe you lost your voice on one of the shows, right? You had to cancel a show. Sounds uh, likely. <laughs> yeah, I, didn't, I think it was in Texas. Yeah. You had to like, Oh take a... yeah. Okay. So just that. seeing your, just your physical journey as a vocalist and hearing you warm up and doing acoustic stuff, which is, I can't even imagine <laughs> having a break where I do acoustic stuff in between what I'm doing, <laughs> but uh, you persevered and you, you, just carried yourself a certain way. And I just wanted to commend you just as a human being. I, I, I guess I wish in retrospect, I would have been more vocal to you about what I was seeing on the road with all you guys. Cause the entire band, your crew, everybody was just cool, man. You guys mm -hmm. were super cool. And, you know, since then I've listened to your music and I've, I've watched stuff and heard about your whole involvement with, um, you know, being a, a lover of the descendants, which is one of my favorite bands mm -hmm. of them. But all that just came, and we were talking about having you come on. It's like, I just need, need to say this to you before I let you go. That I just admire you guys, and I, I'm a big fan now. Because at the time when we toured, I knew who you guys were. But, you know, when mm -hmm. you're in the band, you're like, oh, that band's cool. You know, they draw a big crowd. But um, I guess just thanks, man. Thanks for, for treating us well, for being such cool guys. And it was inspiring to see you your vocal performance every night, no matter where you were. And I could hear days where you would warm up and I'm like, Oh my God, Ugh. <laughs> working through some like rough spots. Oh, you, totally. you, and you would just nail it every, almost every night from what I could hear with my ears. I was like, how does this dude mm. do it? 
So just wanted to uh, give you some more love before I uh, didn't, you know, had to say that before I let you go, basically. Oh, well, coming from you, Jesse, that means a lot for yeah. sure. Like, and Shit. not just because you're a singer, but because you're you and like your voice is something that I've always really enjoyed. And you're doing those same things every night. You scream, you sing, we, we, but we go through a lot. And then there's a lot of weight on our shoulders to make that show happen every single night you know yeah, not um, i was spitting blood man that was bad that was before the, the, uh, the throat surgery so i had my private moments where i'm like how am i gonna do this yeah oh my god i can't even imagine you're good now right Everything i am is, I'm, I'm better than ever now yeah because that's I've awesome got the surgery and i've been training and i i do everything different now and i don't party like i used to <laughs> <laughs> that's good yeah i and like i've even since that tour too i've had some pretty transformative moments vocally because i felt like i I could rely on my youth to kind of get me through everything for a long time, you know, and then uh, at some point that that fades away. And um, I realized, oh, I need to look, I need to pop the hood here and look at the engine and kind of see how I'm going to keep doing this. And um, I, I found some really good things that really changed um, my life. Cause I think like you talk about like mental health and like my mental health is tied to my voice. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I just feel so helpless when I can't sing and I can't do what I do. I know, you, I know you have the same experience. Like it's, I think all singers do like, you just like, it really is just, I don't know, just the worst thing when you just can't deliver, you know? And yeah. so I had moments where I felt like I'm like, can I do this? Am I still going to be able to do this? That kind of thing. And those were dark moments. And I feel like I've had a lot of transformative things go on and I've, I've talked to professionals and vocal coaches and I figured out, and now I'm super confident and I feel really good about it. I'm ready to go back on the road. And that changes my whole day, my whole trajectory, my whole look at touring, rehearsals, recording, everything. Like, it's just like, it's such an important part. And that, and we talk about voices, but for anybody listening, it's like, whatever it is that you love, like, take care of it, protect it, you know, do what you need to do to keep doing it, you know, um, because we're, it, it's, it's, it grounds us. You know what I mean? Like whatever it is. And for me and you, I might be singing, but for somebody else, it might be something else. And I need that, that kind of grounding, but thank you for those words. That's awesome. Like, you know, I love, I, um, I consider you a peer and a friend and we do the same thing out there. You know what I mean? And so, um, I feel for you. Like when I see you on stage, you know what I mean? Likewise, like, I, know you, I know you feel for me too. And I feel yeah. for both of us when we're in the dressing rooms trying to get ready before a show and someone's rushing us. And, you know, I feel for us in the morning, we wake up after the long <laughs> night, you know, and they're already setting up the show and you're like, wait, I don't know if I'm ready for this one. <laughs> <laughs> totally. The struggle is real, but yeah, it's funny when you sort of just let go of your, cause for me, there was a, a bit of stubbornness and like, I got this punk rock attitude mm -hmm. and I didn't have it at all. And if I had humbled myself earlier, I would have learned invaluable lessons about technique and pressure and breath control and diet and exercise, all these things that I'd now do for my voice, even speaking differently, um, that wouldn't have happened had I not had the surgery. So no regrets. But yeah, for anyone out there listening, don't take it for granted and definitely keep working at your craft for sure. Mm -hmm. Tim, how was, open how was opening up for the Misfits? That was such a cool surprise show. Like we were kind of off the clock at that point, just working on the record, but that one came up and we're like, there's no, there's no saying no to this, you know? Um, were they good? They were did they deliver? Dude, they were so good. Yeah. And like, 
I'll say this now that I was skeptical before. You know what I mean? I no think doubt. Just like, yeah. You know, bands reunite, and it's not always you know what you wanted it to be. You know, um, and it's just it's just how it happens. Um, and so I went into a, a little skeptically, and which I'm comfortable saying because they really did just knock it out of the park. You know, and I was a guy kind of being like, are they going to pull this off? You know, and they totally fucking pulled it off. Like it was. I don't know. It was just really cool to see it and to see that many people still giving a shit about old school punk rock, you know, and, and to be one of the bands that got to be there as well. Like it was pretty special. Yeah, man. You're part of a select few because there wasn't many, was there? I know they were mixing up the support acts with every date, but you know, there's only so many shows. So to be handpicked by the misfits, like one of the Mount Rushmore kind of OG american punk bands for sure and and fucking just before this all kind of came closing down you were doing uh, like quite a big tour with the um, deftones right how are those shows yeah those were incredible you know i speaking of the voice I had great conversations with chino about like the voice and what a and that voice kind of that dude has wow dude what a fucking voice that dude has it's just ridiculous yeah, you know I don't understand how he does some of the shit he does <laughs> oh my god he's just sometimes he's just making crazy noises into a microphone the kind of noises yeah, that right. would just like blow anybody's voice you know um yeah, crazy he's thing. oh he's such i've been i've been able to sing uh passenger with them on stage a oh, couple times, awesome. which is pretty fucking rad you know like it's just i don't know i feel like i don't know about you jesse but like i've never had like that moment like rock star moment where you felt like a rock star on stage you know what i mean like, i think I'm, I'm always too into the songs and too into like, yes. what i'm doing i never i'm never sitting there like you know like holding an orb and <laughs> the wind blowing my hair i've never had that like guitar hero moment yeah. um until i sang passenger with deftones and then it was like something about being there like on the stage being a part of their song I was like, oh, this is what it feels like, you know, and maybe it was that I wasn't so attached to it because it wasn't my song, you know, but it was like, it felt cool uh, doing that. That tour was awesome. Those guys are so rad. Um, they're one of those bands, like, and they inspire me because they've just been around so long and they just keep it so relevant and cool. And they're still they're good. They're <laughs> still good. Their live show is like, just, oh, it's, you I know, it's one. I like their newer records better than their older ones now. Like, I think they are one of those bands. Material. Yes, there's 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 not many bands from our world that seem to get better with age. You know what I mean? I think of Deftones. I think of like, I think Thrice gets better with age. Oh I think Anti Flag gets better with age. You know, um, but yeah, the Deftones like people are gonna go see that show forever because like they just bring it. Chino doesn't know how not to bring it. You know, on stage, really nice guys, nice nice camp. So and and a, and a, a hard band to follow. <laughs> yeah. We were. We were flipping off here and there in certain markets, but like I never look forward to following Chino, that's for sure. <laughs> well, dude, listen, it's been great catching up. Uh, the new record sounds amazing. It's out next month, Nowhere Generation, so everybody should go check it out. I have one more question for you, Tim. I'm not of sure course. what Jesse does or not, but I just wanted to ask, as a, as a father and as a human of this planet, do you hold out hope for our future? Oh... Big blanket question. Just, just the small stuff to end on. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, so absolutely, I do. I feel very lucky to be in a position um, to be the singer of a band that gets to watch that front row every night, you know, and see these amazing people. Um, I have a very unique perspective in that way. I get to meet these fans who um, inspire me, you know, like when I meet them, I'm like, oh man, we're good. If this kid gets his hand on the steering wheel, 
Like we're fucking good, you know, like, and I know that not everyone gets to have the interaction. Like I'm very lucky to have interaction around the world, you know, whenever I'm in England or if I'm here in the States or whatever, like I meet the best of the best. You know what I mean? I meet like really cool kids, you know, they're, they're going through things, but they are becoming stronger people because of it. And they want to fight for a better future, you know? And, and when you meet people like that, um, you can't help, but, you know, feel like we're going in a positive direction. Love it. That's a good way to end it right there. I'm good. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> cool. Thanks so much for coming on. It was really nice to check in with you. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing more of the new record and excited to see uh, you back out there doing what you're meant to do. Cause uh, the world needs people like you, my friend. And, and please send my regards to the boys. Uh, and oh, well. absolute pleasure to, to catch up with you, my friend. Absolutely. Well, the world needs both y'all too. So keep doing what you guys are doing. Thank you, Tim. You're a gentleman and a scholar. you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.